Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to another uh, episode of New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and today we have a very special guest, Chris Gorog. Sir, how are you doing today? Doing good. Yourself, Tim? I'm doing well. Everybody knows Chris is one of the hosts that's for New Cyber Frontier, but as we alluded to it in previous episodes, I believe he does much, 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 much more than that. Um, among things, he is the chair for Digital Privacy uh, IEEE chapter, working towards uh, internet privacy, uh, use of blockchain with a company called Blockframe Inc. Uh, using uh, that block frame or blockchain to actually do privacy in the internet and also um, just in general across the board support uh, integrity of information for transactions. So good, good research products, uh, lots of stuff going on there, especially with utility companies these days, right, Chris? So. Good things. Yep. yep. Good time so, to be in this industry. Yes, it is. Very good time. So today uh, with Chris, um, we, we were discussing this in previous conversations and uh, on some of the other episodes, we've introduced it a couple of times, but today we want to talk about zero trust. Uh, the executive order that uh, the president um, has put out in past year two, um, the order uh, is a 14028. It talks about the security, uh, cybersecurity measures that the government's trying to implement across the board to protect uh, the American people. Um, and then we're going to get into what are those concepts for, um, you know, what are, what are they using? This zero trust concept that they're using. What is it? Uh, How does it break down? What does it mean? Is it truly something that would cover the executive order? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, is it the right direction? I guess I would ask. Yeah. Right. And then um, and the executive order gets into some other things. So without further ado, so let's talk a little bit about the executive order. The executive order, when did it come out again? Let's see. May 12th, 2021. Right. Right. May 12th. So it's almost been, it's been about 10 months. Yeah. That's coming straight out of the White House press, uh, the website there. Uh, connects to it. Yep. So it's been a while. Um, and I do know that it, in the government, uh, they have been working aggressively towards migrating us or maturing our systems into such things, evaluating such things. So this is something that's in the executive order as well. Um, but the big and question CISA, is... CISA has done a lot of work with defining yeah. some pillars and some other things. They have a whole initial framework up you know, the NIST standards they've come into play there's several other industries uh, that are talking about infrastructure for the security versus CISA um, the CISA that department or branch of Homeland Security um, talks an awful lot about uh, about cybersecurity and protection of infrastructure and we're not talking about just your house we're talking about the whole of the infrastructure for the United States North American continent and probably other countries if they let us um, but really, yeah. So looking at the, I'm just looking at the order here, Tim, and uh, right in there is um, agencies responsible for investigative and remediation cyber incidents 
Cyber and Information Security Agency, CISA, yeah. Federal Bureau of Investigations, FBI, yeah, and not. other elements such as intelligence community, IC. So spelled out right in the executive order. Yeah, and the National Institution for Standards and Technology. Um, it also plays, it'll play roles in the cyber security efforts to adapt controls. So some of those things, it looked like that apply. I know in discussions with several of my counterparts, uh, we've got into uh, the understanding of some of these impacts that will apply to um, will apply to the internet, will apply to government in its uh, real time uh, interfacing to the uh, private and public sector. Um, but I guess really the executive order itself. Uh, it talks speaks to unclassified and classified information. It also speaks to um, unveiling information among uh, what they were referring to as service providers. And those service providers are uh, cloud service provisions. There's telecommunications and communication service provision uh, for all those providers out there where um, there are regulations uh, and uh, rules about uh, keepsakes. But in this case, it talks about cybersecurity events, the information that applies there. So there's a ruling in that uh, executive order that talks to the fact that if this specific information falls under guidelines that you you cannot do this means of sharing among one another in agencies or, um, you know, from commercial, like uh, your internet service provider, collecting data and seeing cybersecurity activities, but yet that's private information. So um, now they, they're looking at this ex, uh, executive order to help provision ways to share that information in the case of cyber security breach events that occur. Uh, doing it among not only FBI, but also among other agencies, um, you know, trailing from uh, Homeland Security, um, cloud service provisions like AWS and Azores, um, Google's efforts. So I guess the big question here is privacy. How do you think this potential will impact privacy among those that are using such uh, services? Well, um, hmm, I, 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 I've, read over this many times every new president comes out with one of these and uh in contrasting the the differences between what the last president said and the last president before that about cybersecurity it's more of who they involve the agencies the um the requirements i guess of the government don't seem to go further than um the government when it comes to that reach a lot of times though, huh? Because we know the next president's going to redefine it. Yeah. And it is an executive order, right? So what does that mean that the president, the next president can actually stop the execution of this order or reprovision it in a different manner. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, what we've seen in our history is that's pretty typical from president to president. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's been five or six now in my time. So lots of presidents gone through uh, executive orders change with each given president. So who knows whether this cybersecurity measure will move forward. Uh, it seems like it's at a slow pace, though. The government is taking up and transitioning and trying to protect information at the same time. But privacy is huh. impacted across the board, especially when we're talking about service providers, cloud, commercial, uh, communication assets. Uh, and does that mean... I think it, for, the, for the first time, when you, you know, you, for the first time, they may be addressing that issue. Isn't that mean it hasn't been there before? Oh, right. You know, it just was not 
not talked about. So um, is it making anything new as far as privacy? No. Is it addressing the problem? I think it's just starting to acknowledge. You're probably right. It probably brings to light some of the subjects that they need to be talking about and deciding uh -huh. what the verbiage is going to stay. So we're going to take a break, Chris, and uh, we will come back and talk more about this right after our commercial break. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and I'm here with a very special guest, Chris Gorog. Um, and we were, we were actually defining uh, the... What the executive order is, it's 14028, what it referred to as President Biden's executive order on cybersecurity and trying to expand uh, the abilities among service providers to share information during cybersecurity events or what potentially could be cybersecurity events. And some of the things we were talking about is the potential of impact from the commercial side um, and the private sector uh, impacting into this and mm -hmm. how the government is, is trying to mature this model. Um, which we'll get into that a little bit about the zero trust factors in there. But uh, I really want to examine the concept behind service providers inside this executive order. Uh, and the mm -hmm. fact that this is an executive order, right? Presidents, uh, they change. So, yeah. So when you, you go back to our, I, I think when, when you go back to our buzzword discussion. Yeah. Um, the one thing I see that we're getting more buzzwords in these, these executive orders. <laughs> So it would be the cynic sometimes, but um no, but it is um, so like <laughs> like the concept behind the general. There's only so many things, you know, that uh, they hear words over and over and over and they use those. So mm -hmm. they're like, you know, words basically. Everybody knows what we're talking about when we say these things. Yeah, we, we got Fed ramp acknowledged now. We have uh zero trust started, which was really kind of the new thing right around the time when this was this came out and now, now everybody's talking about it and everybody decided what did I, you know, let's find the new buzzwords they put out in this executive order and let's align them with the things we've already been doing and just rename everything we've already been doing. Yeah. That sounds more like what the executive yeah. order did. And it definitely looks like that, but the concept behind like uh, South, the cloud service provisions I know there's a lot of uh, move to the cloud and a lot of uh, applications were trending into a world of agile production of applications on a, on a cloud service provision on a platform that's out there, which has different service models, different platforms you can use. Um, so information's now starting to move more from, you know, private individual type stuff into storages that are being reached interface wise uh, by every device. Uh, we talked some about how that uh, implies to Internet of Things and the severities of uh, standard or misalignment of security standards among that. That's There's major impacts there. 
So the provision of privacy among relating more openness between agencies and the, uh, more openness between communication, you know, providers, like a service provider, like Comcast or Xfinity, you think that's what they're meaning when they say telecommunications and communication providers on there? Mm -hmm. So I did a quick re a search real quick uh, because you brought up the question of privacy and I wanted to see how is privacy used in this executive order. It's Amer the security and privacy of the American people, the applicable privacy laws that, that, that the directors are supposed to apply to uh, adhere to, uh, appropriate and effective protection of privacy and civil liberties is spelled out as a bullet point under, let's see, where's this section? I've lost track of it in removing barriers for sharing threat information. So um, in the removing barriers within 45 days, it's a, basically they're supposed to report how they're handling this stuff within a certain amount of time around privacy and civil liberties. Um, under modernizing federal government cybersecurity, uh, protect so there's while protecting privacy and civil liberties is addressed in there as a parameter to try to uh, uh, align with and there's a couple more instances the last one is data shall be retained in a manner consistent with privacy laws so we're still very much focused on tell us how you're doing privacy right now let's try to consider it and make sure you meet the laws yeah. So they did contribute to trying to protect privacy within this executive order. So they've addressed not... they've addressed it, I would say. It's a first, you know, it's it's being addressed. Um, but I would almost say again as a byproduct, as a oh yeah, by the way. Yeah, it's secondary. But sharing mm -hmm. information depending on what it is and calling it a cybersecurity event. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's definitely related to information contained by agencies, right? Not to that that they seem to say we care about the individual involved with that information. Just that our agencies don't release that information. Yeah. So I wonder how, like uh, Apple, how would they see an executive order saying they need to share information if there's service? I guess the, the first question I would have. I mean, you're in the government. You you take heed to these executive orders in the private sector. What I, I would question whether Apple, we really even does any more than read these over and say, where's the government at? That's true. So the way it looks contractual agreements. So with Apple iPhone government mm -hmm. has contracts with iPhone uh, about what they use as far as phone usage, mobile phone mm -hmm. usage, so I'm assuming so be compliance so they can sell products to the government would be yeah. where they're at then. Yes, yeah. it would apply I can see that. as a service provider when they refer to it in here. You're, mm -hmm. if, if you're AWS, if you're Amazon Web Services and you've got clouds and you're using a GovCloud, which FedRAMP is addressed in here, um, and you're using the GovCloud, which is a massive uh, entity uh, among agencies, all agencies, then that's considered your service provider. If you are doing integral uh, linking networks among 
uh, geographical locations solely for the use of uh, transferring information or communication efforts between two locations that are considered government. And those are those are actually privatized circuits, then that's mm -hmm. that's a communications service provider. So they are referencing a lot of this in here. Now, I, I'm assuming that most of these individuals that in contract, if they have contracts with such government entities, which is what it really does re is relevant to, that they've already worked this out as far as what they want to do and what they would, uh, you know, what they have the privilege of, of uh, mm -hmm. sharing with one another. So I'm sure they're going within guidelines of, of privacy. So, you know, I, and you, you started out asking about privacy. And then I, I know zero trust and trust was a big thing. When I searched for trust in a document and the relationship that they bring to trust, they definitely put a lot more weight on trust. And in a in a lot of a lot of the terms are interagency, interoperation of government components, knowing where the information came from. So the accountability of and the reliability of the trusted the provider that made the information. Definitely more focused on trust in a big way than privacy, I would say, in, in general, in this whole. Yeah. Know, and the they, order we'll say this, 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 um, this concept, trust yeah. between agencies. Yeah. So this administration, this is kind of their take on where, where that we need to focus on cybersecurity. So what's relevant to, between privacy and trust, the, the guidance that's given is they're still trying to utilize to imply the privacy measures. However, they're they look like they're trying to push the dynamics behind communication of such information for cybersecurity event purposes. So the idea of trust among each other, trusting that information, or uh, you know the guidelines behind how they present their integrity of that information. So when we get into the concept of, of trust itself, which it has plenty of verbiage for trust, trust factors, relationships mean trust, um, you know, relationship between agencies and desire to share such things in the event uh, something happens to uh, to a system. So it sounds mm -hmm. like that there's dynamics there. So the, the actual trust itself, um, I mean, the impact of public and, and private sectors, I'm sure there'll be plenty of things that, that will slow dynamics behind the, the trust factor on the private side. So if you're a contractor for the government, and you have this contract and you relate that to your own organization and then into the public sector um, because of the manner of trust. It's just like uh, multi-factor authentication has now become prevalent across the board for even the public sector uh, and the private sector. So we're starting to look at such dynamics as trust is also being uh, evolving from this executive order or start of this executive order to mature itself within agencies they refer to a, a zero trust um, to provide collections of concepts and ideas designed to minimize uncertainty and enforcing accuracy, least privileges, uh, per request access decisions and information. Services in the face of a network viewed as compromised. They're referring to it as a, a ZTA, which you haven't heard that buzzword yet, have you? It's an acronym. I have not. That's that's new. ZT, zero trust. Zero architecture architecture that's right i actually have then yeah, yeah. but well, there was some gta no. type of reference there no, there was no eta it was <laughs> it was a, it's the fact that the they they, they always spit these acronyms so zta but if you heard zero trust architecture 
So that this is a concept that this executive order starts to trend us towards um, with the zero trust model. And I guess really the idea behind zero trust architecture is that uh, they want to make sure that they can um, validate at each level information that flows. Um, I guess you're familiar with the OSI model, seven layers up and down the stack. So you have different devices, network communication pieces, um, interaction among them. So there's gateways for each one of those types of devices. And we get into the five pillars of this model. It'll start really under, you'll start understanding this a lot more. Um, but really the idea behind this zero trust architecture is trust but validate, uh, don't trust but validate. So least privilege, uh, all those concepts we're familiar with and um, just trying to hone it into one, uh, one set of consortments. So uh, just like you said, we need to bring it together under a different zero trust architecture basically. So, and this is something not just in the government, this is also in the private sector, right? So, um, you know, you know I, 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 hear, I hear you talking very closely tying the, the, the zero trust and the trust to data and users and authentication. Um, the, the interesting piece is that I would tie the need for it, and I, as we talked on the previous show, to uh, the physical cyber entities that we're interfacing with. Um, and the data connected to them would be, you know, how do you trust the data connected to them? How do you trust the users connected to them? How do you track trust them connecting to each other. Um, I guess in the, if you look at it in those pillars, right, you have the, the what are the, the, the pillars we have? Identity, device, network, application, data. That's the device one, I guess. Yeah, it can be visual and analytics, automation, orchestration, governance. You can, you can apply certain things in each one of those as physical as all as well. So we're going to take a break right quick, Chris, and uh, as we, we'll come back after we hear from our sponsors. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and I'm here with Chris Korog. And we are exploring the idea behind what the executive order has come out from President Biden back in May of 2021, how it relates to this architecture we're referring to as ETA. Uh, and then this uh, document that's come out for the maturity of the zero trust model and the five pillars there. So, you know, before the break, we were talking about the five pillars of trust in this trust model and how physical components uh, or physical elements when you talk about trust and how you relate trust. Because I know you related it in previous conversations and previous uh, podcasts uh, to how the physical part of this. And I believe uh, essentially that it's conducive uh, and yeah. like military, when you go to the military installation, how many layers of physical security do you have? 
I mean, I, I think, yeah, physical security there is guys with guns. Yeah, you, we're, we're physically going to watch you. Yeah, it's not a not. technological solution. Right. So, in, embedded ideas inside of uh, machines, those trust vectors, like uh, like what Microsoft uses as the as the BitLocker, right? And mm-hmm. um, encrypting uh, and trust for a device as a piece of hardware or the encryption of data as it flows, or just a, a part of the directory, things like that. I think, yeah, I think that's that's probably the big difference when I, I hear I hear people from the military talk is um, and the government work is that you can really assume if you're working for a government facility that physical security is handled. Yeah. It has been, it's, it's very well done with gates, with guards, with guns, with locks, with uh, scans, with identity of the people in and access to it, with uh, background checks, uh, security clearances. The physical part of it is done so that anything physical relating to device network identity falls back into that category. And we can kind of just forget about it a little bit. Yeah, you do. Well, then when we promoted the idea of working from home, those layers kind of got shedded depending on what you exactly. did. Exactly. And that's the difference in the in the 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 um commercial world. Those layers are shredded because now our devices are in consumers' hands. Mm-hmm. They're sold to different companies. Our networks span different customers. Our networks connected, you know, they're not in our guarded area. Mm-hmm. We don't have an isolated network. Our applications are downloaded and patched by random people at different times. And our data doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to the customer. So if we're getting a hold of it, it's because they're giving it to us and then it's ours. So it's really all those things are absent of the physical protection. And that's the difference. Yeah. So these pillars kind of accommodate or kind of bring it to light so we can get into a level where I think as we're moving along um, the concept of bring your own device, I don't think of any agency that would allow that. Um, (laughs) But corporations, they definitely strive for such things. Now, I don't know as a person that I would want to bring my own device because, you know, we, we do that. We have, we have developers that, that work for like, you know, eight hours a week or a couple hours a month doing a couple little things for us because they want to, or yeah. even volunteers use their own device. We have them access to, to code repositories or whatever they're working on just for a short amount of time. So they can do one task or two um, in open source projects. You have the same thing. Companies having people work from home. We don't buy office equipment anymore. Our employees want to use their own stuff because they can buy a big gaming PC with lots of power or whatever fits their purpose rather than have our standard computer that we buy everybody. So, you know, that that bring your own device is almost something we just have to live with because it's going to happen whether we want to or not. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's in there. Now, government entities wouldn't – they still control. Uh, there's still a measure of control. And I could see the valid reason why. Um you know, because of the assortment of information, what levels, mm-hmm. classification levels it should be at or what it is at, um, how that can be impacted by uh, <clears throat> bring your own device. So I, I don't ever see it venturing down a lane where bring your own device, unless there's a shell that really locks off your computer when you're interfacing. 
Uh, you know, when you go to take a test in some of these test sites now, Pearson View, uh, it takes over your computer and you can't really do anything to it when you uh, give it, you know, you allow it to do such a thing. So you can take a test on your own computer. So mm -hmm. I don't know if, if uh, governments would ever allude to that. But this works into the identity concept, the um, the different pillars that um, the device concept um, and also the application workload, the data itself. So, I mean, across the board, things like that, um, I, the perspective of how the zero trust model uh, would venture into and, and mature into value. I don't know if it'd ever take on uh, the bring your own device concept or something of that measure, but I sure think that it would impact those corporations out there if they had to move such a thing. So mm -hmm. if they were already using this, this BOY, bring your own device. Um, so I, it just seems like this is not particularly across the board, the standard, the one that the executive order is pushing is a zero trust architecture, the zero trust model concept. I mean, I get it, but I think it, it'll actually allude to something else, especially with the impact that it'll probably have to the private sector. So, yeah, you know that we, we released a show a little bit ago uh, you, um, about asking a collage of people that were trying to determine what the zero trust means and what it is to them. And they seemingly just all rebranded what they were already doing under one of these pillars and said, we're doing this pillar. So how much is this just a reclassification project? I don't know. I think I think you're right. I mean, from our from a standpoint of the government. Uh, a lot of times we're looking at this and a lot of things we're already doing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's almost like they're pulling uh, concepts that have been there a while under one umbrella to create, mm -hmm. a, um, I guess, a, you know, a security package or a plan that would say these are the things that we would do to really secure this. But does it, does it simplify? Does it make things better for what you're doing? Yeah, I don't how's think it, how's it working? Yeah, I don't, my opinion is we're just getting into the forefront, but my thoughts are is that I don't think it's going to simplify. Uh, I think it'll look, what do you see? I think it's about that more complexity uh, as far yeah. as trust and validation. I don't know about you, but I use enough uh, authentication device. I use, uh, you know, we get back to that concept of having 200 accounts and each one of them needing a password changed every 30 days. And now you've got a, multifunction device um, uh, mm -hmm. and you're using your phone and your phone is the one item, you still got a ball and neck. So regardless of what this does, you're going to have something somewhere that if I took your phone and able to, to, you know, get your phone and do something to it, I think you've had experience in that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think it wouldn't matter. We could make this massive complexity, but then we've got this one thing that if you did it, and used it there's your avenue what do you do how do you how yeah. do you remedy that yeah that's that's the thing i mean i've, I've seen and we were speaking about this a while ago is there's we really don't have the concept of a password anymore yeah we have the concept of a password vault yeah because you're not going to remember 200 passwords no. so you have to have some way to organize them password vault used to be our memory it's not possible anymore like kind of the trust. We have too many things to rely on, too many of those random string texts to, to understand. So we're either going with a fob, we're going with our phone, we're going with a password vault software. 
So again, it's relating an object and the password goes away eventually because we have so many of them, they're all in one blob now. Yeah, and that concept of password eventually won't be usable in the system if it becomes that complex. So mm -hmm. it's either trending to a new way of thought uh, to keep moving forward with other layers. Yeah. That's a pillar. And that, that's, that's, what, that's what we look at with next generation technology is replacing the password with the ability to randomly generate a dynamic password, having the thing that you trust, like your password vault or whatever, mm -hmm. on a reoccurring basis and the ability to reset that from a global perspective if you do run into problems. Uh, and the next generation will simplify that to say, I have what I have, if, if everybody's going to go to what I have, password vault, and what I am at, you know, or biometric, that we have to support that with the technology rather than try to continue on the direction of, you know, mass amount of passwords for everybody. Yeah. And so where does that go? It's it's the concept behind trust again, isn't it? Yeah. You can only member, you know, 30, let's say 30 plus people, you know, up to 60 people at most. I don't know how you can even remember that many people. So um, you're going to have to rely on those people to trust. And if you rely, it's the extension of your trust through those people. So yeah. same thing here, extension of trust through those devices, extension of trust through those layers of these pillars that they're referring to in zero trust, application mm -hmm. layer, the network layer, and those devices. Um, you know, the, the, the big part though that, that you have to have is all those layers is the continuous re-returning to trust, especially the big one is authentication. If the user's the one going through all those layers, we have to continuously return to authenticating the user on a continuous basis over time, having the authentication trust. So you think you think the pillars, the, the way they're designed in this zero trust maturity model, I think I think this is just the first stage, first phase, say. There's phases that's just gonna think this thing's gonna phase into. That's why they refer to it as probably the maturity model. I don't mm -hmm. think it's the, the the see all, know all. This is how you got to get to. Um, it does talk about optimal, and we do know that in maturity levels, uh, a system can go up and down in those levels depending on infrastructure, right? Legacy infrastructure goes out, new infrastructure comes in, new technologies, that maturity has to then be replaced with something that's brand new, and, and then it ends up occurring a different level. Um, and But like with HR, and it's like a, a system or a business system that would apply to HR or to an organization, how it runs those policies and things that have to mature uh, mm -hmm. as a company goes through stages of, of experience and growth or uh, condensing uh, layoffs, um, it experiences how its maturity uh, model works. So same thing here. Yeah. We're really referring to information data, right? Trusted data. Yeah. Yeah, one, one concept, you know, if I, if I had to say, I'm looking at their layers and saying, I think we're kind of running close to our time here, but um What's what's missing? Uh, I'd say there's a concept in here of something that that we 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 have in the in the we'll say in the commercial world more so than the the government, uh, and that's the interorganizational and the interproducts. Now I could see how they could say that's hidden in the identity and the application, 
but there's also networks involved with that and the social. So, you know, if you look at a network of people as a social, a network of organizations is a, is a framework and industry infrastructure, a network of computers is wired, right? Physical. Mm-hmm. Um, what We might have different types of, of networks that fit into the classification and there's kind of a social organizational and product concepts that are blurred between where they would fit in this five tiers. Yeah, I think you're right. So the maturity model here looks like a good start the way the executive order has tried to imply. So it looks like they, they kind of hit the marker per se uh, and we're evolving from that, which uh, may expand in this maturity model uh, as, as a doctrine. Um, so, so you had said you had said earlier, Tim, though, that you thought it's going to be more work. But I'm actually hearing that this might be, you know, a better alignment in our last discussion here, last half of the show, that maybe it has some legs. Are you thinking? Well, I think it's going to be work. However, I think we're going to leave some concepts behind that we've used as cornerstones in protection, mm-hmm. uh, access yeah. so preferably. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we're going to probably have to leave some of that behind. Those those are not going to work in the maturity of this model. So we're going to have to find mm-hmm. other ways to provide that. Uh, the other thing that doesn't work in this in this model is the things that don't have trust, the things that are qualitative, like risk assessments, the human aspect driven stuff, yeah. doesn't have a place in this model. Yeah, it's interesting. So looks like they've got some things to do, but it, it's a good start, I would say, phasing into, like they're referring to maturity. So anyway, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Chris, for being on. Uh, and until next Thanks. time, uh, everybody take care and we'll see you next time for cybersecurity uh, and all the questions out there. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.